old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of this story I am going to relate. You're listening to a special holiday edition of The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. Oh, what a day it is here at the Fear of God. And in fact, as we like to say here, it is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Welcome to your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast. I am one of your favorite podcast hosts, Nathan Rouse. And what a day and what a treat we've got for you today. Today, we are in fact presenting our fourth episode in the What the Dickens series, where we are going to be featuring the one and only classic tale by Mr. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Um, typically with me is old Charles... Uh, hello! Uh, hello down there! Uh, I see a, a wee young lad down below. Uh, uh, young, small chap, what is today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Oh, it's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day? I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello? Uh, Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy. A remarkable wee small boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What, the one as big as me? <laughs> that is, in fact, still a bit of a small turkey. But the the bigger one there, re- regardless, what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck, that one. Oh, it's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Walker? No, no, I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here, that I may give them the directions where to take it. Come back with the man, and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I'll give you half a crown. Off you go, you wee little thing. All right, 
Now, while we wait for that little guy to come back with the giant turkey, I did want to I did want to encourage you. It is Christmas, it's so exciting. Um, I did want to encourage you to please, especially after this little exercise, go leave a rating, go leave a review. Of course, a five-star one. Of course, one of a glowing variety. Uh, what ho? Oh, here you are back. Um, oh, good. Oh, that, that and scene! Reed, you're here! Merry Christmas to all! What a grand old time! Oh my gosh, you with all your small comments. I was gonna, I was gonna, I didn't want to throw you off of your script, but I was gonna be like, listen, my slight frame is not, is twice as much as your wit, you insensitive yeah. little twip. Oh, there we are. Oh, Welcome, man. everyone. Merry Welcome Christmas! Welcome to episode four. Happy Christmas, happy holidays. Happy oh, all the wonderful. things. This is the first time that our episode for Christmas has actually aired on Christmas Day. It is Christmas Day. That's I'm amazing. It's kind of like in 2016 when our first when that episode aired on Halloween with Halloween. Oh yeah. I don't think it did that. One of Yeah, remember? Yeah. No, pretty It sure. aired on the anniversary of the release of Halloween, but but I don't think it aired on Halloween. Oh. Whatever. See, my what? slight frame is twice as big as <laughs> yours. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> oh, wow. Reed. Hey, Reed. buddy. It's How you December. Doing, it is Christmas Day. I am certain that everyone is, is carving out an hour and a half-ish from their Christmas Day in order to listen to this episode. With I'm positive. And, with deep and great haste and urgency. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, yes, so we are going to, this is the culmination, as you mentioned, of this What the Dickens series, culminating in a conversation about that timeless classic by Mr. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. But, uh, but before we get into all of those jovial festivities, one Mr. Nathan Rouse. Right, I wish to inquire of you in uh, in utmost brevity if we may have a sort of a parlance, if you will, perhaps a, a pittance of a parlance, wherein we unsheath those <laughs> creatives' encounters, you know, perhaps of the literary or maybe melodic or theatrical varieties that most profoundly resonated with our sensibilities, whether whether for good or ill. So, uh, I, in other words, what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to? Ooh. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to? Yeah. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. What you watching, reading, what you listening to. I liked that, Reed. <laughs> I'm impressed. I like the phrase parlance of a pittance. That, <laughs> Perhaps a pittance con- of a parlance. Is that contextually accurate? What does parlance mean? Uh, like In our, uh, our language, our wor- our verbiage. Yeah, we go back and forth. We're, In our parlance. A pittance yeah. of our parlance? Is that what you said? Yeah, like, perhaps a pittance a of our parlance. A wee bit. A wee yeah. bit of our talk. Ooh, yeah. I do. I do love words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you would enjoy those. So, um, so yeah, so uh, we're going to be, you know, it's it's the end of the year. Uh, Holy Christmas cow. Day. I know, I can't even believe it. So, uh, So, I figured we could talk about a couple of things that maybe... Um, you know, just so- sort of in summary for the year, not necessarily what we've been more recently watching or listening or reading to, but uh, just a couple of things specifically, and then maybe even looking back on our own show and and perhaps some fond remembrances. So okay, so why don't we why don't we close with that? And I'll start by saying, um, I'm gonna allow you to for for brevity's sake, for time's sake, um, pick 
two of your favorite either films, uh, books, pieces of literature, uh, listening to podcasts, albums, whatever. Pick two of your favorite things that you've engaged in the past year, in 2018. What are two of your favorite things? And I'll do likewise. So so what you're saying is not so much a few of my favorite things. Like, like the list would be more like these are a couple of my favorite things. Yes, indeed. Indeed. A couple of your favorite things. Well, that doesn't have quite the same ring to it as the old, the old song, you know? It's true. I have no recovery for that, but that's 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 true. okay. That's okay. It's, Couple it's, is the know. word that it is. It is. It is. So just two <laughs> things. Um, man, I don't know. Like this is. It has been a jam-packed year in my life, and ah. and and I went scanning. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll know I post. I will post new movies I've watched. Um, you know, like if I rewatch a thing or whatever, I won't post it. But I post new movies I watch, and I was scanning it for this question, and there are not many to choose from. And in uh, fact, I think of new things listed. I don't remember what the final number was, but as of this recording, at least, I'm at like mid fifties in terms of numbers. Oh, and which sure, is sure. funny because if you take 52 weeks in a year, the fact that we record weekly or have weekly episodes, let's <laughs> say at least 30 to 40 of those were new to me. You know, it's like, oh, okay, right, I've right, watched right, right. about a dozen non fear of God movies. Wow. Um, I know, isn't that crazy? Um, that is nuts. I think I will share a book, a pair of books, but they're correlated. So, so it works together. Okay. So I think. In terms of music, uh, I'll share a, mu- a music collection and and book pair. Um, honestly, like there haven't been a ton of new full. Like I said, there's just I, I, either, either I'm just old and <laughs> and just hate all the things, and so don't don't like what the kids are listening to or whatever. Sure. But in terms of music, I chose Hamilton soundtrack. Um, ah, okay. That theatric theater going experience had a real profound um sort of impact and as referenced several episodes ago just just revisiting that music material after the theater experience has just been real a real wonderful way to kind of dive swim back around into that world and those um those songs so sure i was pondering stars born but i only like about three or four songs Really, really love about three or four songs off of that. So in terms of total total package, I did choose Hamilton. Um, I, I haven't read as much as I would love to have done this year. Um, as a note, I did finally finish Underground Railroad. It's good, but that's not my choice here. Um, <laughs> because of not just the placement it had in when I read it in the year, which was January, but also how it sort of pivoted much of my inner life provided an access point for it um i referenced it heavily at the top of the year but david gushy's pair of books uh still christian and changing our minds Mm. um Mm. were just really 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 transformative reads for me like like you you're a transformative i'm a transformative read (laughs) you you are right right um but you know those Anything I've read since then has been either just it's been good, but has not sure. had as like much excavational work it did on me as those two 
books and they really do work well as a as a pair gotcha. um so yeah i mean that would be my two entries into your question and you don't want the fave i call it fave fogs you don't want fave fogs yet right? <laughs> i don't want fave fogs yet no so i'll give my okay. answer to it um i will i will mention uh a movie uh, and a TV series, so which makes it okay. sound like I don't read very much. But honestly, most of this, most of my reading this year was either older works that I was coming to for the first time, which I could mention if I want to. But uh, no, I didn't read a lot of 2018 releases. Or uh, with listening to, I was just I was listening to a lot of old favorites. So again, the the reading and listening to have been mostly just things I was already well acquainted with. Um, but I'll mention a movie and a TV series. So um, we mentioned it in brief. We will probably find a way to have discussion about it at some point. But um, I've got to cite The Haunting of Hill House as like a really fun, uh, among my favorite experiences of just, you know, getting into that series and enjoying that. I know that was relatively recent, but and that's perhaps part of why it's still so resonant with me. But I really thought uh, it was something special in terms of, you know, Netflix dropping all 10 episodes uh, as they are prone to do. But all of them are directed by Mike Flanagan. So it really is kind of the 10 plus hour movie model, as it were. And uh, yeah, and so I really enjoyed The Haunting of Hill House. And I went through uh, month by month because I have Letterboxd. And uh, <laughs> coincidentally, according to Letterboxd, I have uh, watched 408 movies in 2018. Oh, my God. Now, that's that's watches and rewatches. But, yes, I've watched 408 movies in 2018. Uh, that is not <laughs> counting. Uh, you made me feel like I just sit around and twiddle my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> that's not counting TV shows I watch. But, yeah, no, so it, it, it's pretty massive. Uh, but I went through all of them to see, okay, uh, now uh, restricting this to new movies uh, that were released in 2018, what uh, sits at my number one sort of favorite experience of 2018? And right now, to my utter surprise, because it happened so early in the year, uh, at present, my favorite film I saw this year was Alex Garland's Annihilation. Was my was my favorite of the movies that I saw this year. Now I've not seen some now, recent what, heavy give, hitters. Give but, a little bit of criteria for that. Like what, what you know, how 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 does the algorithm of Letterboxd tell you that that's how you would? Have no, it that? didn't. It didn't tell me that. I just used Letterboxd to review all of the films that I'd seen. So I just that list of four hundred eight films I watched in twenty eighteen. I filtered by okay, what was released in twenty eighteen, and then just scanned right. those. And I was like, okay, what are my favorites? And there's some heavy hitters up there. I mean, I loved Ralph Breaks the Internet. I loved A Quiet Place. There's lots of uh, recent or you know twenty eighteen entries that I really thoroughly enjoyed. But of the ones I've seen. Uh, Annihilation gets the top spot at present. So that's the one that excites most my imagination. Um, before we move on into that secondary question, I've got to give some props out to old Mr. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, one Mr. Taylor Shore, who sent us a Christmas present. Happy Christmas, everybody. So he sent us a Christmas present. Actually, he sent it to me, but it's for us. And mm. uh, he was. We got joint custody. If we do, um, he was inspired by our conversation about the alien just needing a friend way back from our alien episode and how the alien just needs a friend. And he has sent me a book by Joey Spioto uh, or Spiato. I'm not quite sure how you would pronounce that name um, called Alien Next Door in Space. No one can hear you clean. And all this book is 
is just a sequence of pictures, most of which do not have any words or text of dialogue or anything, of the alien, the xenomorph alien, just doing things in his life. Like, <laughs> like I opened it up right now to he's painting Easter eggs. I've got it right nice. here where he is giving Ripley a haircut. Uh, okay. I've got it right here where he is at some like sporting event, uh, and he's supporting a team called the Facehuggers. Um, <laughs> I've got one right here where he is uh, basically mowing his lawn with uh, some sort of like hat drink thing where he's, you know, he's got a straw right. going the beer, down to the beer hat. Okay. Yeah, the beer hat kind of thing. And then I've got one, this was really great, where uh, he's ordered a pizza. The pizza delivery boy sees who's at the door, and then in the next frame, uh, like, a little face hugger, like, gets the pizza guy. It's really great. Okay. So, yeah. But, but yeah, so the alien next door. Thank you very much, Taylor. That brought yes. me a tremendous amount of delight flipping through that book. I, I enjoyed it very, very much. So thank you for that, and happy Christmas. So uh, with that in mind, uh, speaking of our previous Alien episode, um, I, th- I think it'd be good before we dive into our content proper if we would uh, just review back recently some of the favorite episodes of 2018 of The Fear of God. Fa- perhaps favorite moment. I'd say I would encourage you to pick a favorite moment and maybe to pick two or three favorite episodes. Let's go favorite moment first. Okay. I'm tr- okay, then you go first there and give me a minute to think because I wrote down no an episode, so I'm trying to scan my brain. Oh, okay, no problem. So my fa- hands down, my favorite moment. It wasn't my favorite episode, but my favorite moment that we had this year was when I surprised you and opened the Predator episode in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> and then what proceeded was this ridiculous attempt on your and my part to have these horrible Austrian accents as we were rattling through the monster mash. And, that was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, I had a blast. And so, so every once in a while, I'll just pull up just that section of that episode to listen to because it's it's I found so much delight in that. It was great. Well, you just made me think of that this wasn't the one I was going to use, so I'll, I'll do two. Um, partly because it was unintentionally just fun was monster mash in general, but once I finally joined... Once I finally got the got the ringside seat going in terms of <laughs> calling out those those matchups, oh my yeah, God. yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. I I think for me in terms of just a fun, one that comes to mind, and and again, I didn't scan the year with this in mind, but one that comes to mind and jumps out at me is in terms of just our brand of stupidity would be the first basically 30 minutes of the shape of water that culminates in my oh my idi- gosh, idi- <laughs> my idiotic. Uh, you know, misnomer about what time frame. <laughs> Even though I knew it, I just started speaking to of eighties and then second guess, second guess myself. So that great. was so funny. Uh, well, that I, was I like total stream of consciousness. It was that was a weird. That was weird. It was I, good. It was funny. But I loved it. I loved that. That's oh, great. I love it when we sort of just you know we just chat. That's all it is. We just we just. How I don't many, know if listeners love it, but I love it. Oh, that one guy doesn't. Whoever that was. But, <laughs> um. He's not a fan. He's not a fan at all. <laughs> um, how many did you pick in terms of favorite episodes? Just three. I just put a top oh, okay. three. I just put a top three. So you want to uh, parlance, if you will, and go three, two, one? Sure. Mine aren't in order, but I'll I'll, I'll partner your your. Okay. Well, I'll go first then um, to give you a moment to glance and, and sort of somewhat organize them. Um, so my number three was, uh, and it's a little bit of a cheat, but still, 
um, was the retrospective episode. We crossed 100 episodes this year, and following our episode on Psycho, we did um, like a two-hour retrospective, took questions from some listeners, um, had some back and forth about just kind of what the show has evolved into and what it meant to us, and listening to some of those clips, and particularly the what you're watching, reading, listening to, like That's three great. or four-minute run of just those little songs and everything. So I really enjoyed a lot. It was it was quite a bit of editing work, but I really enjoyed enjoy going back and listening to the retrospective so that's my that's my number three um you know what i thought about the retrospective and i thought no that's a cheaty one but i'm glad you did it wow um well i mean i really didn't think that not of you but (laughs) um i do want to give a quick honorable mention because i don't think pound for pound i would cite this as one of our like top 10 episodes of all time but i was so enthralled with the accidental but profound places i think the thematic conversation went was the orphanage i just really have a fondness for kind of that the latter part of it i mean i love that movie but i think that that thematic conversation proved really strong in a way that maybe surprised both of us um i agree i think i'll this is in a relative three two one order but whatever i'm not that list listy um (laughs) i think because I'm going to throw American Werewolf in London. It almost made my list. It almost really? made my list. Yeah, it really did. Um, partly I was just so, it was just so unexpected. I yeah. don't know that I would cite that movie as a favorite movie of the year, but that conversation, that episode, yeah, I think really, yeah, I agree. was a really strong, really strong uh, outing for us. Yeah, agreed. Um, my number two, uh, just because I feel like we, you know, we both got kind of emotionally invested in the conversation. Not that we don't always, but just in a way that I think surprised both of us. My number two is the Black Mirror conversation, mm-hmm. um, specifically covering the episodes of Black Mirror, Nosedive, and Be Right Back. But that's my that's my number two. I I know it was like early in the year, but it still really resonates with me in in many ways. Some of the observations made there are still things I think about, and so that's my number two. Um, I think for my second entry here, in part just because of the sort of I don't know prophetic happenstance of the movie you ended up watching alongside it, but. And also my unfamiliarity with it beforehand was Strangers. Oh, just yeah, think yeah, That's yeah. a really, a really powerful episode, really powerful conversation, a great movie. I would, I would personally put that in our probably top five for the year, mm. um, you know, conversations. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. Don't disagree. That was on the short list for episodes I wanted to mention as well. Um, well, my number one. Uh, still my favorite episode of the year. It's the one that I go back to as the benchmark for kind of, uh, you and I said after we recorded it, that it was one of those few times where I feel like we lost the mics. Uh, what I mean by that is like for, for a good decent chunk during this conversation, you and I, I think forgot we were podcasting and just started having like, not that we don't have a substantive conversation as often as we can, Right. But it would just it, then it was just Reed and Nathan as friends, just sort of bantering back and forth about things uh, that mean a great deal to us, and that's the purge. The purge is my number one mm. for this mm-hmm. year. That I was like, yeah, that it, it really just sort of the facade sort of l- lost itself for that moment, and and we just sort of were, you know, two two friends having a conversation. Not that we don't always do that again, but it was just uh, really in a rhythm that you and I have. Uh, where we are not aware that there's microphones with us. And I really love it when that happens. Yes, I would put 
I would rank the purge up there as well. Um, I think again, I, I don't necessarily put any of these in sequential order per se, but just the ones that really stood out to me, which is really funny. You can kind of vouch for this because I honestly haven't heard it yet, but um, due to how surprised I was by the source material and thus how what the source material stirred up in me, I was just really invested. And hopefully it translates in the final product in the Krampus episode. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so um, as we're recording this, the Krampus episode has been recorded but not released. So it's, right, like, right, it's right. still sort of in the editing phase. But uh, yes, but yeah. So uh, so yeah, yeah. I I agree. Krampus was Kramp- Krampus really touched me this Christmas spirit, and I think it did you too in in very did surprising you, ways. Let, let me ask you: Did you um? Um, I, you know, this conversation, the, the episode conversation for us was a couple of weeks ago now, so I don't totally remember your the, the finer points of maybe your experience there. But did you anticipate that conversation going those directions in, in the no. sense of like, did okay, not to that degree? I mean, I knew right, we would right. have a good conversation about it, or at least you know one that where we would touch on some things that meant a great deal to us. But I was not expecting. A, to have as strong a reaction to it second time around as I had, was definitely not expecting, based on my initial first reaction, for you to be as, you know, sort of uh, enthralled by it as you were. So, uh, yeah, was not going into it, I was not expecting it to have that ultimate result. That's cool. Um, I did have, as another honorable mention, Mother. I think that was a really strong episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, Coincidentally, yeah. Mother was the very first film I watched of 2018 because of when we recorded that episode and because of the situations around it. Mother was the very first uh, movie that I watched this year. The very first Fear of God movie, the very first movie. movie. Very first movie, period. Period. Very first movie I watched. So, All right. Yeah, there, there's that. So uh, so I guess that uh, that means uh, what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. <laughs> What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. You know, I want to shout out here, <laughs> oh my God. Here, at the, here at the end of the year, I want to shout out Jeremy Kakara, who recently <laughs> on Facebook, recently meaning like today, he was he was applauding our Better Watch Out episode and then talked about us being goobers singing to David we are, to yes. Chris Peckover. We have uh, no intellectual capital. Um, so yeah, I can handle that. I can handle that, Kakara. I got <laughs> an eye on you, buddy. He's upset um, with me because I liked the movie The Christmas Chronicles and he didn't. It's funny because oh, like okay. on my little on my little letterbox review, he just wrote read. <laughs> That's, all That's he funny. Wrote. That's all he wrote. That's, funny. That's pretty funny. I said, "Don't recommend me for the not. Uh, don't make me recommend you for the naughty list, Jeremy." Yeah, letterbox. That's where the kids are hanging out. They are. Um, We'll read. It is what the Dickens number four. Come in and know me better, man. Let's talk about this. (laughs) This little piece of literature. Oh man, I must confess a bit of intimidation to have this conversation because. Oh yeah. I I love this material so much and have loved it for so long. It's difficult to engage it in such a way that feels concise. Like, you know, obviously I don't know, we don't know at this point how long our episode will be, but, you know, it usually lands at about an hour and a half-ish. And uh, just wanting to, feeling the need to 
encapsulate how I feel about this material in words can sometimes be very intimidating. And with this, it sure. is. Because this is something, this is a story that is tremendously special to me. Um, it's my very favorite book, you know, uh, and so it's, yeah. Was, it well, 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 share with us a peek behind the curtain a little bit. You know, was this a just sort of personal discovery at a certain point in life? Was it recommended to you? Were you given it as a gift? Like, what was the... My very first encounter with the story was in about probably 1985 or 86. I was like four or five years old. And I saw the Christmas Carol version that you have seen. It came on broadcast TV of where Scrooge is played by George C. Scott. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that film that, uh, oh, oh, prior to that, sorry, prior to that, my very first encounter with that would have been Mickey's Christmas Carol, which is, of course, a right. faithful adaptation to the major beats, but is, you know, very, very brief for obvious reasons. Um, so my very first encounter with it was Mickey's Christmas Carol. And then when I was like, you know, probably five or six years old, maybe even as early as four years old, I saw the George C. Scott Christmas Carol version. I read it probably as soon as I was old enough to read. And still a lot of the words didn't quite make sense to me. But yeah, probably as early as six or seven, I began to sort of engage with the text and then would read it, you know, ever so often. I actually, when I was 12 years old, I tried my hand at recording an audiobook of it. I have no idea where it's wound up because it was on audio cassette because they didn't have like compact discs and recording apparatus when I was that young. So, but I recorded it on audio cassette and read the whole book. Um, I have made it a tradition uh, for a number of years, for probably a dozen years or so, that every Christmas season I would uh, set aside some time to sit by a lighted Christmas tree and have like some hot chocolate and some cookies or snack of choice, whatever it was and read it from cover to cover, a tradition that I had not been able to really re-engage uh, since I'd been married, just for, you know, understandable scheduling issues. Uh, but I did it this year. I wanted to, we were engaging the material, I set aside some time, and I sat by the Christmas tree and I read it from cover to cover. And it was, uh, it was really delightful, it was really special for me. So yeah, this is, a, this is an important book to me. All right. Um, <laughs> How about you? <laughs> no. No pressure. Uh, no, I um, know. You know, I don't. I, I fancy myself rather cultured, and then there are moments where it's just like, yeah, I don't know, that one missed me somehow. Uh, um, you know, I, I had, I have now read it, but uh, I read it uh, explicitly for this conversation. Of course, I've seen various film iterations over the years, but none with any real intentionality until. I think last year, and that was the George C. Scott version you oh, just referenced. Which is still my um, favorite version of it. Yeah. Now, is there one with Patrick Stewart? There is. Yeah, 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 yeah. From about, I want to say maybe uh, 10 or 11 years ago. I would need to look it up to know for certain. But yeah, Patrick Stewart plays Scrooge in a in an, an adaptation from it from the 2000s. Is the... I, I would assume it's Zemeckis based on the, the style. Is the Zemeckis Jim Carrey one any good? I like it quite a bit. With any version, I mean, to be frank, the story is so tightly plotted and so right. well executed. It's actually quite difficult to make a bad version of this story unless you're just absolutely not paying any attention. 
Um, And so most versions out there are varying degrees of of good to great. I like the Robert Zemeckis version. My issue with that one is that occasionally the stylistic choices override the substantive ones Mm -hmm. um, because it was done in that formatting that like Polar Express and Beowulf were done in. So, um, So that's really my only complaint with that. But it's a pretty faithful adaptation. Jim Carrey makes a relatively... Uh, good Scrooge. One thing that's uh, that's interesting of note is uh, Jim Carrey and Gary Oldman play multiple characters in it. So, like, Gary Oldman plays Bob Cratchit, but also plays, I believe, all three spirits um, and Jacob Marley. And so, like, so it's interesting, interesting to see them do different interpretations of those characters. And so, but yeah, uh, the short version is, yes, it is definitely worth watching. A lot of people, I think, categorically dismiss it, which I think is a mistake. It is not among my very favorite versions of the story, but it's definitely worth watching. What's Christmas? But a time for buying things for which you have no need, no money. <laughs> time for finding yourself a year older. Not an hour, Richard. <laughs> if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips <laughs> should be boiled in his own pudding <laughs> and buried with a steak of olives through his heart. <laughs> Come, Nog. Neville, you keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Where do you want to start, little guy? Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, so why don't we just talk about a couple of uh, general things. I've got just a couple of general notes here. Um, and then, I don't know, I figured perhaps we could just sort of make our way through the story. And it, this happens sometimes, but I never like to force it. Our typical format, as listeners know, is we talk about things we like and don't like, and then we talk about like scares, and then we get into thematic conversation. This book has so many elements throughout its text that could spark thematic conversation. I kind of would like to liberate us both to just sort of follow the conversation wherever the conversation goes. So as starting points, we can kind of start about some generalities. And then as we get into some particular moments, if that bleeds into, you know, examinations of something more thematic, then we'll just allow that to happen, uh, whether that be scary or insightful or whatever else. I have just uh, a couple of uh, general notes here. One thing I wrote down is is I love so I, Charles Dickens is a favorite author of mine, but one of the things that I think is so overt in A Christmas Carol is his somewhat bumbling narrative style. It's almost as if he's kind of stumbling through the story. Like what I wrote down was he. It's like it's deceptively subverting how he instead of digging his heels on the macabre circumstances of Marley's death, he instead spends a whole paragraph bemused by the phrase "dead as a doornail." You know, like, yeah, you know, and and then waits nearly a dozen paragraphs into his story to finally say, like, once upon a time, you know, it's almost as if he's trying to create this almost conversational style. Like, hey, here, come here, friends. I want to tell you a story. Well, and again, I, I, I finished it yesterday and first time I've read it. But I mean, there's a clear omniscient narrator who, yes. who makes makes reference to himself. Mm-hmm. But is not Scrooge, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, it's right. a, just a third, and not any of the other characters in the piece. Right, just right, a right. just an omniscient observer. 
so yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I'll mention this. I, I love this. This is, uh, I wrote it in general notes, but this is from the uh, Spirit of Christmas Present. I, I love how Dickens frequently treats the reader as if we're his friends. And so this is what I wrote down. He said when he's introducing Scrooge's nephew, he says, If you should happen by any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me at once and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. And I'm like, mm. oh, I, you know, I love that. By the way, with I say with no tongue in cheek, I say with full sincerity, World Charles Dickens alive today, I would write or tweet or email him and say, you need to meet one Mr. Nathan Rouse, because I personally do not know anyone more blessed in his wholehearted, full-spirited laughter than you, Nathan. And I say that <laughs> I say that in complete sincerity. When you really get tickled, your laugh is uproariously infectious, and, and I just love it. And so I wrote that line down because I was like, I would introduce Charles Dickens to Nathan Rouse. And so there you go. I just That's funny. You're, you're, I just love you're, that. You're threatening to already tilt us towards themes here, or <laughs> but we'll, we'll come back to that. I did want to, real quick, do you, um, you mentioned being a Dickens fan writ large. Do you have, for those of us who did read the, the uh, A Christmas Carol for, for this particular outing, do you have other, is there another favorite you'd point to? It's like, hey, if you like this, if, it, if you like this style, here's, you know, here's a Dickens to, to, to follow this one. Yes. So my three favorite Dickens books besides I just asked, I just asked for one, but well, listen, you can, no, you can give listen. us three. Is that a few or a couple? Goodness it's gracious. It's a few. Uh, yes. Okay. So so the three that I'm like, oh gosh, there's a fourth one too. Dear Lord. No. Um, no. Okay. I'll give you three. All right. So uh, in quick succession, A Tale of Two Cities, Oliver Twist, and Great Expectations. Those are the three that I'm like, oh yeah, if you liked A Christmas Carol and you like this style... A Tale of Two Cities, I'll recount that as my one. Oliver Twist and Great Expectations are brilliant, wonderful books. They're they're powerful and they're amazing and everyone should read them. A Tale of Two Cities, it, its first two-thirds is... That was the um, best of times, it was the worst of times? Exactly, yes. Right. Um, a Tale of Two Cities, the first two-thirds are kind of, yeah, this is a Dickens book. It's good, you'll read it. It is what it is, and and you, you will perhaps find some things to really enjoy in it as you're making your way through it, but here's why... A Tale of Two Cities is utterly brilliant. It's because at the two-thirds mark, and I, I strongly compel people to read this book, because at the two-thirds mark, a couple of characters, specifically one character, but a couple of characters because of him, make a couple of choices. And when they make those choices, your emotional investment quadruples, and suddenly, like, I read the first two-thirds of that book in about a two-week span and read the last third of it in a single day. I could not wow. put down the, the propulsion of the last third of the book and the emotional resonance, the power of it, the redemption, the uh, inspiration. It is a staggering work. It is a staggering work. But with that wholehearted recommendation, if somebody went into it and was like halfway through it and was like, when does it get staggering? I'm like, please press on because again, at the two thirds mark in very quick succession, a couple of characters make choices that I, as a reader, was sitting there like, oh my God, don't do this. Oh no. And then the stakes immediately raise to life and death situations about people you've come to care about. And it is incredible. It is absolutely amazing how he ties that overall book back together. A Tale of Two Cities is a magnificent experience of reading. And I, I love it tremendously. Would you call it Dickensian? It is Dickensian. They're all Dickensian. Yes. 
as a matter of fact. <laughs> what the dickens? <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you for that. So um, just a few bullet points uh, that I that I wanted to share in my observations. So one, I really love when Marley slips on Scrooge's cane and does that pratfall. It's just, it's hysterical. That's from Mickey's. Cr- oh, my gosh. <laughs> It's Mr. Screw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. There it is. There it is. Here we are. That's oh, Dickensian. Um, that's so, what's so funny about that is um, I had not finished the book yet. And my kids the other day were just like on Netflix and found the mickey's christmas carol oh anyway so i uh stumbled on them watching a christmas carol the mickey's christmas carol and you know just watched for just a few minutes and and saw goofy as marley which was quite you might say goofy (laughs) um (laughs) it's so great it's so great yeah yeah it it was very funny let me ask you this real quick before sure so and i'm gonna be remiss because i didn't write down for me a page number so i don't know how to turn to this section but in my knowledge of the story and in what little visual representation I'd seen, I didn't I was unaware of this and I was trying to figure out am I reading what I'm reading? Is there a scene and maybe this happens more than once and I just didn't pick up on it, but mm-hmm. where it stood out to me, during Christmas present, they go to Bob Cratchit's house. They do. After that major scene, or the next major scene after that is at the nephew's house. The next major scene is at the nephew's house, yeah. Is there a scene of them in like some Christmas pirates? That's what I wrote down. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. So I wasn't yeah. making that well, up. Not, I was like, like, not quite like Christmas pirates, but yeah, know, some sailors. But, but like, sailors, yeah, like where they go out to sea and they visit Santa a lighthouse. Sailors. And <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> they, he like takes him to a lighthouse and takes him out to. So you referenced earlier the Patrick Stewart version. The Patrick Stewart version includes that moment, but uh, it is the only version that I'm in recollection of that does include that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an oft skipped moment, but yeah, yeah, it does seem to takes him. stick out in terms of like, what is this? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that that stood out to me. Um, what what else you got? So uh, the next the next thing I have to offer kind of pivots us towards some different stuff. So okay, well I have a uh, so I, I have some stuff that I'll save, but uh, I'll I'll mention something. I know you love words. I know you love words. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> um, I so I wanted to mention something about humbug because humbug, I think when people talk about like, bah, humbug, you know, they, they think of it as if he means like nonsense as, oh, that, Christmas is just nonsense. You know, that's the way they sort of acquaint that. But humbug is actually something a bit more robust than that because humbug refers to sort of uh, overt deception, like a, a, as if uh, hmm. as if like so, uh, when Scrooge says that Christmas is a humbug. He's basically saying, no, they're they're not being sincere when they say, hey, yes, goodwill and cheer. He he actively thinks they're trying to swindle you out of your money. And right. that's something that, you know, is a big deal to him throughout it. And so so it, and it also adds some nuance to he doesn't just dismiss it as uh, something trivial. He overtly hates it because he thinks it's deceitful and deceptive. And that's that, I think, adds some flavor to the story that may be missed if you just think humbug means nonsense. So, you yeah. know, you know how I understood the context of that definition? How? The X-Files. Really? Really? There's an episode called Humbug, and it's about um, carnival freaks. 
basically. Oh, wow. So. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, humbug. Um, humbug. And Reed, you're so right. I do love words. I love <laughs> words. I love words. And this book has a number of them. It's got such great words. It does have some great words, truly great words. I'm only going to highlight a couple. I did. I did. I made a list. <laughs> I have, favorite words. I have checked it twice. This, uh, I don't love the definition of this, but I just found it an interesting word. Legatee, L-E-G-A-T-E. Oh, it's mm-hmm. a person, a person to whom a legacy is bequeathed. So that's an interesting word. Yes. Um, fain, F-A-I-N, mm-hmm. glad, gladly or willingly. So yes. like, what, what's funny about that is we're used to, f- uh, well, like faint or, I don't know. I think there's, there's a different, there's a similar word that means something different. So using this version of feign in context is proving a little bit difficult for my brain in the moment. Mm-hmm. However, two of my favorite words, and then we can move on to something else if you'd like. Sure. One is excrescence. Excrescence? Excrescence. It's a difficult word to say. A little bit. Clearly by that prefix, you might have an idea where this is you know, the con- <laughs> some sort of some sort of tone here, but it's an abnormal growth. Blah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the I, th- I actually I wonder if he refers. I can't remember exactly where it is in context, but I think he refers to someone's nose as an excrescence, <laughs> the shape of their nose. Wow. Um, but maybe my most favorite word of reading a Christmas Carol uh, was waggish. Waggish. W a g g i s. Waggish. The dog. And wow. it's it, what I love when when definitions do this, they define the word with the word, basically. It's so like the uh-huh. first definition is like, no, it says like a wag. It's like, OK, y'all, come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's waggish. It's like a wag, you know, come on. But <laughs> the the more full definition they give is roguish in merriment and good humor. Oh, okay. jo- jocular. Mm-hmm. And then they finish it by characteristic of or befitting a wag. So it's like a wag. <laughs> it's characteristic of a wag, which I suppose a wag is roguish and merriment and good humor. Jocular. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, so so yes, the words of Dickens. Dickens' words. What the Dickens? Excrescence, you know what? waggish, what? So, yes, Dickens did have a way with words. So I wrote, so I, I did, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not as enamored with singular words as you are, but um, I do love a, a clever turn of phrase. And mm-hmm. uh, this book has too many of them for me to name, but I'm going to cite a couple of favorites. I love, these are just some phrases regarding different things in description. Uh, I love the phrase, as solitary as an oyster. I just love that. Mm, That's a very, yeah. you know, wonderful descriptor. It's like a um, simile. This is Scrooge's rant. Uh, it's oft quoted, and, and, and listeners will probably remember it, but I love it. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. That is wow. That is a glorious teardown of, of like, any, like it's, yeah, it's just so fantastic. Um, I wrote down because Scrooge had thought about when he sees Marley's face on the door knocker. Um, he said it has a, had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. <laughs> like, wow. wow. It's so great. Um, I have just two more. Uh, one is uh, I love when Marley describes himself as captive, bound, and double-ironed. I just love that. There's a, there's a, I don't know, there's a punch to those choice of words. Captive, bound, and double-ironed. And then my last one in terms of favorite phrases is uh, while Scrooge is expecting the second spirit, so he's already seen Marley and he's seen the spirit of Christmas past. 
So then uh, it says, he was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances and nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. <laughs> I just love that. Um, so yeah, so just a few of my of my favorite phrases. Do you want to, uh, so I kind of have my notes, uh, some things to mention, just kind of in rhythm of the story. Do you want to just sort of make your way through the story? You know, just sort of trot through the story and make observations about it as we go? You want to do that? Well, um, I, I am. I want to. Uh, I want to allow you that opportunity. I will say, pretty much my notes from here are thematically minded. Um, ah, interesting. I do. Okay. I do. Sort of have a few that kind of tie together, and then one that's isolated, like an oyster. Um, solitary as an oyster. So solitary as an oyster. Yes, yes. yes thank you exactly. for that correction. So, so really, I mean, you know, I don't know how. Um, voluminous is your observations, uh, Stave. Okay. By Stave, but I want you to feel free to just throw out some thoughts as you well, desire. Well, why don't I? Why don't I do this? So you have your notes there. Why don't we do that? Why don't we go through the the different chapters, or as they're called, staves? To mirror, it's it's called a Christmas Carol, and is meant to structurally meant to sort of mirror a song, um, with different refrains and etc. So uh, why don't we just go through those, and then if something jumps out to you, we can follow it wherever it leads us. We'll be as uh, as brief as possible, but give ourselves some room to to kind of uh, unpack this because um, it's Christmas. Everybody's everybody's off today. It's it's Christmas Day. <laughs> Everybody everybody's free. Um, yes, and and mo- hopefully gets a raise also. Exactly. Um, well, that happens tomorrow. So let's uh, <laughs> not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so, uh, stave one, Marley's ghost. Um, I wrote down just some uh, an observation from that first part in Scrooge's business. Uh, I love that when Fred enters Scrooge's office from outside. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, when he when Fred enters from outside, his breath fogs up. In other words, it was colder in Scrooge's office. And I yeah. just love that. I just uh, it was a small touch. They don't, you know, uh, he doesn't overemphasize the point. But as you reread the material, th- little things like that uh, stand out. And then I wrote down uh, the phrase "darkness is cheap," and Scrooge liked it. This would have been in our traditional format. This would have been something that would have classified as scares. But I wrote uh, the sounds that whole sequence, the sounds of Marley climbing the stairs and dragging uh-huh. the heavy chains, is a very powerful moment to me. Just that idea of Scrooge sitting in an upper bedroom as he hears this ascending spirit with these clanging chains behind him—it's a very powerful and resonant moment to me. But I, I like, wanna, yeah, go ahead. We- I want to, and just FYI, you may have to edit out the sounds of turning pages. Hey, everyone, Nathan got a physical book, and so now has to reference <laughs> the the pen marks he made in it to figure out where, what to talk about here. Um, can I throw something out? Are you yeah, past, please do. Please I, don't, do. I, don't, I don't know if you were veering far past the um, counting house or whatever we call the place Scrooge works at or owns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to share this section, and I'm sure it'll resonate with you, partly because it's not thematically linked to anything I wanted to say, other than just it is such a lovely bit of prose. And it is Fred. Fred's the nephew? Yes, Fred's the okay. nephew. It's it's Fred basically giving his argument for the value he finds in Christmas, and there's a lot that could be said. Like, there's a lot of text here, but summary, the the latter kind of two or three sentences here, although dickens and why i like him does enjoy a good long sentence mm-hmm. um fred says it's the only time i know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely 
and to think of people below them, as in below them in station, as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not mm. another another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, possibly one of my, and having only read this once but saw the film last year, uh, top ten pieces of prose ever, therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe mm. that it has done me good and will do me good. And so I say, God bless it. It's just a really lovely, yeah, lovely bit of prose. Yeah. Bob Cratchit agrees with you because in that moment he immediately erupts into applause, which yes, I, think is, I think is great. Um, oh, I, I just picked yeah. a froggy. Uh, froggy. <laughs> Kermit. I meant to say Kermit. But why I just said froggy is my middle child just had her elementary school Christmas pageant little program and they, they were singing Frosty. And on the way home, I was trying to get her to sing the song for me because I wasn't able to attend it because I had my own play to perform in. And so I was trying to get her to sing to me in the car, and she just wouldn't do it. So I kept ribbing her and started changing the words of the song. Oh so I started God. singing Froggy the Frogman. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just made up this stupid. So in my head, I pictured a frog, and so I said Froggy and not Kermit <laughs> for fro- so Froggy the Frogman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, that's awesome. He's got a real original name, that one. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't mention it yet, but you just referenced the Frogman. Like, the Muppet Christmas Carol version is... It's fun. Outstanding. Yeah. It's so great. Well, and Michael Caine's just so good. Yeah. They well, and the Muppets are just so fantastic. They're so wonderful. So, uh I have I have lots of Can we can we maybe talk here for a minute, uh take a beat, somewhat abandoning notes, but I'm sure things will come in here and just have a conversation for a couple of minutes about Jacob Marley because sure. Jacob Marley is my favorite my number one favorite character in all of literature. I cited this even before I landed at understanding that Christmas Carol was my favorite book. Tell me more. Speak. Comfort to me. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that, you always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Jacob Marley is a really powerful character to me because I don't know how much of this you picked up on, but he says a note in there that he says uh, there's a chance and hope that he's giving to him, a chance and hope of escaping his fate, and then he says, a chance of my procuring. So it's it's a simple little line, but basically Jacob Marley saying, I worked this out for you. I gave mm. you know, I acquired this opportunity you give. And it's it's both hilarious and powerful because he says it's a chance that he worked out for Scrooge. And I love this rhythm. Dickens has a tremendous humor. He so basically Jacob Marley, though doomed, 
is an advocate for Scrooge, is an advocate for his old partner. Right, um, right. And I, and I find that so powerful. I find that so immensely powerful. And um, it's funny because when, he's, when he says, you know, this is a chance that I've procured for you, Scrooge, momentarily touched, says like, oh, you know, you always were a good friend. And then he says, you will be haunted by three spirits. And the way, <laughs> the way that I read Scrooge's line is he's like, is... Is that the chance you were talking about? <laughs> and he and then when he says it is, Scrooge just says, I think I'd rather not. <laughs> it's just it's just That's a funny, funny little exchange amidst a, an otherwise macabre, you know, sort of moment. But Jacob Marley, specifically his lament, which I'm gonna quote some pieces of here in a moment, he just resonates so powerfully to me. There is a fictional imagining kind of the whole story hinges on two things. The first, Charles Dickens lays out for us in the very first sentence of the book, and that is Marley is dead to begin with. He later says, like, you know, half a page down, he says, you have to understand that he was dead or nothing wonderful can come of what we're going to tell, you know? Uh, So the very first thing we have to get in mind is Marley is dead. And the second thing which Marley tells to us is Marley is doomed. And it is, it is so, there is a fictional world in my, in my heart and spirit where, by becoming an advocate and ultimately helping to clear a path for his old friend's redemption that maybe Jacob Marley finds some redemption himself. Um, I don't know that, and I'm not, you know, I'm not diverting us into this whole thing, but Jacob Marley is a powerful character to me. I'm going to mention a couple of things in his, uh, in his lament that stands out to me. He says of, of spirits that are, you know, sort of burdened down by these chains that they forge in life. He says, it is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared and turned to happiness. And that just haunts me. It was right. forced to witness what it can't share, but, but could have shared. And then sure. he, uh, when he, when Scrooge says, you were always a good man of business, he says, business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. His understanding of the breadth of humanity at which he was compelled to work in and so avidly refused to is just really haunting to me. And I love this. This is the last thing I'll mention from his lament. He says, Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode, were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Wow. And I thought, oh my God, just that's just powerful. Like him, like I walked with my eyes turned down, but if I had looked up at that blessed star which led the wise man to a poor place, where would that light have conducted me? And I'm like, oh my God, this is so powerful to me. Yeah. I don't know if listeners are able to translate my emotionality behind it. Like I said, this is an, a bit of an intimidating conversation to me, but it resonates so profoundly to me, this understanding of this doomed man, captive bound and double iron, shackled for eternity, longing for the opportunity to lift his eyes. And I'm just like, sure. oh my God, that is, it is, it's incredibly resonant to me. But while he's saying all of this, is compelling his old friend, you right. know, perhaps the right. only one he had, please, it is not too late for you. It is too late right. for me. It is not too late for you. And I'm just like, oh, my God. It's Yeah, it resonates so deeply with me. 
So uh, I've been talking a lot, so I want to encourage you to jump in. I know this is a favorite work of mine, but please, like you're here too. Um, The uh, (laughs) the so the last thing that I wrote down, uh, I'm sure you noted it, but um, when Scrooge looks out as Marley leaves again, just on this notion of you know spending his life looking down, and he could have been looking up. When Scrooge looks out, there is a countless number of other ghosts. And, like, specifically, there's somebody who's, like, weeping over a poor infant that he would love to have helped. And the text says two things that I wanted to point out. First, it says, none were free, which is haunting. It says, none were free. But then it also says, the misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost that power forever. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, just the 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 notion of, this kind of what we scratched at last week with Krampus of there being a cap to the capacity to be able to influence things for good. And it's, it's just powerful. And the message, you know, the message here or in that moment is just like, yeah, do good while you have time to do good because, you know, beyond this world, uh, how, how gruesome a thought to think that you may, maintain the desire to do good but lose the power forever to be able to actually influence that that's a that's a haunting thought yeah Uh, yeah. merry christmas everybody Uh, yeah 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 wow i'm glad that's not where the story ends (laughs) (laughs) um i i really don't have the bulk of what i want to share or talk about is littered later um, so in terms of Marley, we can we can yeah. move forward. Well, if you want to talk about the the spirits somewhat collectively, I can introduce a couple. You know, I can talk about the spirits as a whole in just saying that, like, what interested me about them, as particularly in this reading of it, is they all rebuke him. All of them do. Some of them more harshly than others, but they all rebuke him. What's fascinating to me thinking about it from like a theological perspective or if you wanted like a proselytizing kind of perspective what's interesting to me is they all rebuke him but they don't plead for his redemption with either the promise of reward or the threat of punishment what's brilliant and fascinating to me about this is that the spirits simply unveil to him with very little to no adornment the consequences of his behavior. That's all they do. These are just sure. this, this, you know, these are the shadows of the things that, that they are what they are. The spirit of Christmas past says that they are what they are. Don't blame me. Like, this is just what happened, you know? Right. And, uh, and that's powerful to me. They simply, you know, they, they provoke certain precepts along the way, but 90% of their work is merely showing Scrooge who he has been what he has missed and what his ultimate end will be because of his consequences or because of his choices. Right, right. And I'm just like, oh man, that's powerful to me. It's it's really profound, even from a like a a compulsion to better behavior kind of attitude. Is just they very plainly and bluntly shared with him these are the courses of your events, and it's just, yeah, it just resonates. With well, me. and you're you're teeing me up here so i appreciate that and we no work well together <laughs> um <laughs> so you you have such a a deep and abiding history with this work that at the moment i don't share but give me 30 years um <laughs> and at the same time um i don't know if the text caught me at the right moment of life 
I don't know if the text caught me mm. in the right moment of the year. On the whole, in a way that even the few film iterations I've seen did not do, I was profoundly moved by the work as a whole. Yeah. Um, I had the pleasure yesterday. Today is a Monday. Yesterday was a Sunday. The church I've referenced that we attend far too infrequently um, had invited me to perform a piece of the birth, the play I do, um, at two separate services. So, like, this time of year, because of the the energy I pour into this production, I'm just already spiritually vulnerable. And, and, and mm. Mm, vulnerable makes it sound like pr- easy to be preyed upon. That's not what I mean. I mean, like raw and open and like spun up and just available spiritually available yeah that's a good that's a better way to put it and in in a in a great way and between these two services i had a little time to kill and i knew we're going to be talking about christmas carol i needed to finish it and um i uh, removed myself to a little coffee shop nearby and finished the last chapter and basically wept in public over Mm how glorious it is but you know you talk about what the spirits do and how all it really is i'm trying to trying to wrestle down a bunch of different things here but all it really is is you know hey here's who you are (laughs) yeah right, right um and i think about that it feels cliche and a little, I would say maybe dumb to be like, Oh, I'm going to turn 40 in a year, but, and, and people get reflective at this age. And, and I don't know that that's the direct link, but I do feel like these last five years of my life have been very reflective and, and trying to dredge the depths in a self-aware way to figure out what who I am and and what matters to me what I what I have by default made matter mm-hmm. um what I maybe instead would rather matter mm-hmm. and trying to let go of the former and and dig into the latter um and so this book, the story was really powerful to me from that standpoint. And I think I may have referenced before, you know, Richard Rohr talks about the three boxes and construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. Well, what Scrooge is faced with in this story is all you've been is construction. Mm. It's building. It's, it's, it's meritocracy. It's monetization. It's accounting, literally. Right. It is gain. And the interaction with the spirits is his deconstruction. Mm, yes, it is. Yes, very much. Well, that so. last chapter is his reconstruction. It's really beautiful and lovely and gospel. But where I'm going with all of this is just trying to pivot towards Christmas pasts is where the seeds of how this started to affect me took hold. And, and I accidentally just tipped my hand a little bit. If, if, if you've read the story a hundred times, um, <laughs> he shows, Scrooge, the scene of he and the girlfriend. Yeah. Who, I yeah. can't find her name. I don't know. Belle. Okay. Is it in the text? It's really. It is. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not, 
it's not uh, prevalent, so it was hard to find when I was revisiting it. Um, and she has this real heartbreaking rebuke of him that starts with this sentence that could be to us as individuals <laughs> uh, reading these things, uh, consuming these things with the lens you and I tend to use could be towards the church. But it's this statement that just says, you fear the world too much. Mm-hmm. And she goes on and she's admonishing Scrooge, but she may as well be to potentially all of us who buy into to, uh, to maybe be a bit reductive, the capitalistic notion of success as meaning and purpose. She says, all your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of the world's sordid reproach. You're trying mm-hmm. to build yourself to be beyond falling. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one, and this one strikes at the heart, until the master passion, gain, G-A-I-N with a capital G, until the master passion gain engrosses you. I've seen, I've seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. And like, that was just such a powerful indictment of, and, and warning. Yeah. You know, right. Um, right. You and I are in our late thirties and, and you know, there's such a, there's such an entrancing effect the accumulation can have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so easy sometimes. And, and I actually, I don't say this to pat us on the back, but I do think generally, and as much as I know you and as much as I know myself, we're decent at resisting those impulses. But nonetheless, you live in a materialistic, capitalistic, consumeristic society. It is yeah, hard to, true, it is, true. it's just hard to kind of keep those powerful forces from completely encroaching right Uh, well and and let me let me comment on that too which by the way i wrote that line down too it's it's really powerful what bell says to him um it's been said a lot so the christmas carol has been um i think sort of falsely touted as a rebuke of of you know sort of uh gaining wealth uh, as a rebuke of gathering up wealth i think that's a misreading of the text because Scrooge's problem is not that he's wealthy, it's that he's stingy. So his so his problem is not that he has it's exactly what Bell rebukes him for. It's that his problem is not that he's savvy at business. In fact, his business savvy is what enables him to provide the resources at the end of the book that he provides to you know right, give Bob right. Cratchit a better life and everything like that. Like his his business acumen a, a properly applied is part of what helps so much. The difficulty with him is that he will not share it with anyone. He's ingenerous, right. you know. It's like it, it's he's not again just stingy. He's he hoards it and holds it for himself and himself alone, and then doesn't even make himself marry by it, as the text right, says. Right, right. And that I think is a key difference when Bell tells him, you know, like. She said another idol has displaced me and she calls it an idol. I think that's key. You know, like he he worships this this ability to no, I will let nothing else in. And I think that is a key distinction. Some people may point and say like, "Oh, are you saying it's bad to be wealthy?" No. 
it's not at all bad to be wealthy, but I do think it's poisonous to be stingy. I think it's absolutely to, uh, toxic in Dickens' work, and I think in the text of a majority of the scripture, it is toxic to store up your wealth only for yourself. Amass great riches if you can, and then share it. You know, it's it's like that's that's part of what I think Dickens is scratching at. And may that be said of any of what we would categorize as wealth, whether your wealth be in financial resources or whether your wealth be in uh, a, an abundance of knowledge or a generous spirit or, you know, whatever it is, um, when you close yourself off and become, you know, again, solitary as an oyster, that is the real that is the real toxicity. That's the real poison is you have gained all of these things, like she says, you know, out of fear. You fear the world too much, like your entire right, efforts right. are to keep it at bay. And that's, I think, Scrooge's real problem. Um, I think it would be a misreading of the text to say, hey, it's bad to be wealthy. It's not bad to be wealthy, according to Dickens was wealthy, but he was also terribly generous. Yeah, I mean, you're more versed with the material than I am. I am, I am, I am not by any means disagreeing with you. I'm hesitant to say that it's, I think there is less a conversation about, hey, no big deal if you're wealthy, which is a very reductive way of saying what you just said. I understand that. But I think Fred's language is the guiding light here, which is whatever station you're in, the requirement is to recognize where we are all in it together on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Anyway, so so yeah. I mean, I, again, I think the hard thing you and I are about to have to deal with is, is how to ultimately resolve this conversation, which isn't this, sure, this moment. Sure, sure. Uh, no, just no. because there are so many kind of major thematic elements sure, working together sure. here. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Perhaps you would do me the favor of placing upon your head that uh, cap that you hold in your hand. I bring the light of truth. Would you use this cap to put it out? I beg your pardon, I had no intention of offending. What business brings you here? It is for your welfare that I appear. I can think of no greater welfare than a night of uninterrupted sleep. Be careful, Ebenezer Scrooge. I speak of your reclamation. Well, if it's reclamation, then let's get on with it. members of my family? No, not that I remember. Nor any of my elder brothers born these later years? No, I'm afraid not, no. Do you have many brothers, Spirit? <laughs> Over 1,800! <laughs> Over 
Well, let me, yeah, we're, we're, we've already, you know, kind of gone a while, so I don't know exactly uh, how to wind this conversation to, to a close when that time comes. But uh, one thing I do want to mention that's in the spirit of Christmas present, um, sort of brushing past, uh, past, 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 past. Um, so it's in the George C. Scott rendition of A Christmas Carol. Um, and I think it is in a couple of other versions of the story, but it's not in all of them. Um, the moment right towards the end of the spirit of Christmas present where the two children are beneath his robe. Oh um, my God. That's, that's uh, freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where, where so the excrescence shows up, <laughs> the yes. abnormal growth. Yes, exactly. Um, so one of the things that is, is pivotal, I think, to understanding this story so Charles Dickens did not set out to write, you know, this big tome about Christmas. That that wasn't his ultimate intention. Um, and in fact, there, you know, he's largely responsible for the sort of outburst of Christmas sentiment that has developed into what it is. But what he origi- originally set out to do, he was trying to make a little bit of money because his current book, he was he he often wrote books in serial publication, so just a few chapters at a time. So his current sort of ongoing work, Martin Chuzzlewit, was not going very well. People weren't responding very positively to it. And he had had his previous book, I think, which was Barnaby Rudge, just hadn't done very well. So he needed cash, like, fast. And so he wanted to, Christmas was kind of growing in popularity at the time, and he wanted to sort of seize the moment. But those two children, the little boy named Ignorance and the little girl named Want, the germ of the idea, according to the you know, the best research I could find, the germ of A Christmas Carol all began with the image of those two desperate little children pleading or, you know, looking longingly at a stingy old miser around Christmas time. That is is where the whole story emerged, that singular image. uh, Everything else sort of built up around that. And so it's it's, it's a single page or like a page and a half, depending on your copy of the text, but it's a very brief moment these two children, again, ignorance and want. And when he asked the spirit, are these your children? He said, they're man's. They're man's children. Right. Um, and uh, it is. It's, it, it's haunting and it's powerful. It leads right into the spirit of Christmas yet to come. And I do think that that's really, among a number of other things that Dickens may have been scratching at, that's really something that was very important to him is the treatment of these the, the these children the treatment of these poor hungry you know like when scrooge asks him are there no resources that can help them and then he throws scrooge's earlier words back at him are there no workhouses are there no prisons right you know yeah terrible terribly powerful and and haunting haunting moment and i think largely the book somewhat hinges i don't it's not the midway that moment is not the midway point through the book but I think thematically, it it all kind of hinges around that singular observation uh, of Scrooge just coming in contact with all the ways in which he talked about things that he had no understanding of. Uh, like that line about the surplus population, where he says it, uh, he says it earlier. Says you know uh, when the workers say, or when the the solicitors are saying, well, many can't go to the prisons and workhouses and many who could go there would rather die. And then Scrooge says, well, if they'd rather die, let them do it and decrease right. the surplus population. Right, right, right. And then that's thrown back in his face 
by the spirit of Christmas present in reference to Tiny Tim. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, if Tiny Tim's going to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. Um, well, and I think, and of course, I, that's, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off there. I think, no, no, no. I think one of the, and this is not, <laughs> this is not one of my written down themes, uh, which is problematic for our time. Um, <laughs> I think one of the powerful takeaways from this text is, is illustrated by that example which is we so rarely consider what the value sets we've adopted do to those around us you know it's like it's like scrooge like is he a stingy old turd yeah (laughs) and on a certain level you just kind of he is who he is i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is it's only when measured against how our lives impact how our lives, how our behavior, how our purchases, how our, you know, all, all these random or seemingly random choices impact others starts to get weighed against us. You know, Scrooge has what is a pretty sensible, if we're honest, kind of personal philosophy. Sure. Sure. It's, it's practical. Yes, it's extremely practical. Well, then when the spirit uses the practicality of that sensible worldview to illustrate, well, why should I save Tiny Tim? Right. You know, right. I mean, it's like, yeah. yeah, you, you, the, the, the requirement to be mindful and considered that your, you know, your, your worldview is not this, is not solitary as an oyster. You like this? Yeah. I got it right that time. I got it right. You're right. You're right. Um, It impacts practically uh, Mm -hmm. people in your orbit. Anyway, I I don't, I don't want to follow that rabbit trail too long. It was just, you know, I think there's so many, there's so many overarching themes operating here. I do want, if you'll permit me to follow rabbit trail here, like, I it's it it annoyed me because I read I finished the book and was I mean just frankly quite weepy hmm. and I wish I had just just diaried journaled right there hmm. because I've tried to reflect back and and think through okay how you know what was so impactful and it's been hard right right it's been hard for it not to come off as just reductive like you know aphorisms is that the word I'm after just kind of platitudes oh um, yeah but. I couldn't, there's, there's two lines, two primary lines that are sort of the, the centers around which some of my views on a Christmas Carol orbit. And then I've got a whole other track if we get time for it. But these two lines are after Scrooge comes to from the third ghost and they're they're right around each other. I, I, I'm not staring at the book. I just have the the lines written down I, and and the page numbers. But I think it's at the very end of his encounter with future or yet to come. And he he says the line. I want to say it and then come back to it. But he says the line. I will live in the past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. And then he I'm I'm paraphrasing the pronoun, but not the te- not the 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 other verbiage here. But he wakes up in his bed. And he notes his own sort of curtains and bedposts. And again, my paraphrase here, it says, the time before you is your own. 
to to make amends in. And what struck me so deeply, Reed, about that is not simply this Gandalf sort of philosophy of, you know, all you have to do is, all you have to know is what to do with the time you've been given. Like, the time before you is your own serves that purpose. Mm -hmm. But then there's an immediate phrase that says to make amends in. Yeah. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. typically consider amends a thing of of late life, you know, I mean Scrooge depending on his depiction and it's kind of weird the the edition I have who I presume is meant to be Scrooge in the art on the front is is not an older man as George C. Scott and Michael Caine and and Patrick Stewart <laughs> are. And so I'm like, well, I don't I don't know exactly how old he's meant to be, but I think very old. <sighs> You know, what would we do? How would we spend if the time that is our own was meant to, was meant and designed and given for us to make amends in it? Which is not, to me, how I interpret that, this, this meant to foist you, to weigh you down like Marley with these chains, to, to guilt you into gratitude and, and graciousness. It's simply mm. to say there are so many hurting people and yeah. you can have an active participatory role in amending that hurt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's, you, you've said it before is my fault or responsibility. It doesn't matter. We are responsible. We have mm. a responsibility. And so I'm tying these two notions together the time before you is your own to make amends in clearly time as a concept is extremely important in a Christmas carol. So then right. you incorporate this. I will live in the past, present and future in order to you. We are not in ourselves gifted with that capability. You know, you, you kind of the gift Scrooge is given through the visitations of these spirits is this kind of higher mindedness. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the faithful call. You know, that is the, we are, we are to kind of cultivate this holy imagination yeah. that, yeah. It, that equips us to be cognizant of our past and not our, not merely our individualized solitary as an oyster life, you know, my, my individual life past, but how my life's past and what it represents impacts others. So we have to be mindful of that. We have to be, we have to operate in sort of this eternal present. Yeah. Which is going to, um, there's a, there's a, this parallel theme I keep referring to that kind of operates out of that. We have to be able to operate in this eternal present to just be whole in the world. Yeah, so right. we have to be cognizant of the past and, and the explicit and implicit ways we've hurt or harmed ourselves or others. Mm-hmm. We have to operate in a whole present in order that to the best of our abilities, we don't facilitate harm presently and not just, mm. not just don't facilitate harm, but, but actively cultivate, cultivate goodness and joy and celebration. Right. Right. Um, we have to be mindful of the future. And I wrote down this note, you know, we talk about this, it's really, we're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talk at Christmas time about the waiting. Mm. And 
I lament to my wife sometimes, unrelated to Christmas, but about this phraseology. I think there's something implicit, sort of, if I can use the word loosely, biblically, about the concept of waiting. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. However, what I lament is what I will occasionally say is, God, what are we waiting for? Like, why are mm. what? Are, and, and this isn't me saying, what's the purpose in waiting? What I'm saying is, we often use waiting as an excuse to not uh, live present, right? To right, to right, forego right. some sort of joy we could cultivate in ourselves or others presently. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think, I mean, Scrooge is a great example. He's he's waiting. He's he's well. You're you're afraid of you, you fear the world. Yeah. You 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 build this thing so you can keep yourself out of the sordid reproach of the world. So and and all of your hopes fall off all of your ambitions fall off till all that remains is just gain and accumulation and aggrandizement that will get that that does nothing right right because and as you pointed out is that gain itself an evil Eh, not necessarily is that gain without commensurate gift an evil probably Mm, right right on a certain level on a certain level there's a line and i don't have the scripture pulled up but it's something that jesus rebuked the pharisees for uh, regarding the kingdom, and he says, "You don't go in yourselves, nor do you let others enter." <laughs> like, uh, and again, I don't have the scripture passage pulled up, but it's like you, you know, basically this idea of completely abandoning what you what you could accomplish. It's it's going back to the specters, uh, Marley, and the rest of the specters, like desiring to do, desiring to do good, but but you but you've lost that power. What's what's beautiful about Scrooge waking up that next morning is realizing I have the, I the power is still mine. Like right. I, I I still have the power to do something about this. And it's not it's not too late. It's not too late for me to do something different, to make different choices. I uh I grinned a minute ago because <laughs> Every time I hear the word Marley, I think Marley and Marley. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I want to I want to follow hard a rabbit trail over here real quick here, and then I'll more or less be spent as far as Christmas show goes, and maybe even just in myself, and then (laughs) you can you can finish us and and you know take us where you want to go. You know you 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 brought up. Uh, and I was hoping you wouldn't actually mine the text for this the way I it stood out to me. And so I appreciate you for unintentionally letting me do this. Um, you brought up a while ago the the sort of notion of laughter. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have here as a theme laughter. Like mm-hmm. it stood out so much to me. And what what I, I don't even know that I've shared this with you in the real, but, you know, I, I've pff, had no idea that a lot of this stuff would get shared in this conversation much less would be dredged up by this book but it's the end of the year it's mm-hmm. you know i i personally have 40 staring at me and and i mentioned earlier just the the sort of self-reflection i sought to do in myself and an unwritten informal but nonetheless solidifying personal mission statement i've adopted for myself as uh, in this past year as I sort of try to formulate I know it sounds weird man but as I try to formulate like what do I what do I want my life to mean mm, mm-hmm. um in in a real specific way you yeah. know um 
the things I've come from, the things, the, the two main sort of tenets that have not left me alone. Will I tattoo them on myself? I don't know. Um, but are, they are, uh, to bring others joy and mm. to remind them of their belovedness. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really powerful that I mentioned this past, present, future thing and, and, and this notion of living in the present and what that means. And dude, I, I uh, work in a, a sales environment. I, I read something like you fear the earth and the only thing, you know, you pursue is gain. Now I don't personally think I live that way, but it is still right. a cautionary, a cautionary kind of notion. Sure. Um, and so, you know, you have all these warring things out there and I, put the words of Frederick Beekner on a stage and I think about what that means and, you know, to bring others joy and, and, and to remind them of their belovedness. And I think about present and then there's laughter, this notion of just the, the Scrooge of the last chapter was such an utter joy to me Yeah, to observe and to be present with, mm, mm-hmm. um, Two un-Dickensian laughter quotes I'm going to throw here. One, Anne Lamott says, laughter is the carbonation of life. But the other one, mm-hmm. and, you know, our our mutual friend, which is itself. Dickensian, ah, Dickens reference. Yeah. Um, our mutual friend, uh, uh, the late Rich Mullins, mm-hmm. uh, says, if you make me laugh, I know I can make you like me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, I live with that sort of guiding idea but specifically using the text here i'm going to quote a few pieces and uh this is in the very last chapter two of them are short one of them is a bit longer but post scrooges come down from these spirits a line says really for a man who had been out of practice for so many years it was a splendid laugh a most illustrious laugh, the father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs, mm. which is such a glorious moment. Oh, um, that's beautiful. There's a short one, and then I'm going to get to the long one. The short one's later. Um, it ju- it simply says his own his own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. Mm. His own heart laughed, and the last one, and then I'll try to find a way to tie off this idea and and you know, send us uh, into that ye old silent night with robust laughter. It says, <laughs> I think he's talking about the, the turkey and the size of the turkey. And he's talking to, who is he talking to? Um, he's, talking to he's talking to you, right? He's talking <laughs> to you. He's talking to you. And he, it reflects, this is not the segment, the, the, um, excerpt yet, but it says it was a Turkey. He never could have stood upon his legs. That bird, <laughs> he would have snapped him short off in a minute, like sticks of sealing wax. And, and, and he says, why it's impossible to carry that to Camden town said Scrooge, you must have a cab. And here's the, here's the bit. And it says the chuckle with which he said this and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy mm. were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again and chuckled till he cried. 
I mean, this mm. final chapter I is just moment. riddled with. I I almost don't love using the word joy here because it feels too pat. It feels too churchy, if you will. But but what I texted you at the end of this reading, and I I said this is gospel. This is yeah. This is the ability yeah. to wo- the ability to look at one's life, weigh the balance, and come away with all of its ins and outs and and hurts and harms of oneself and to others and be able to chuckle until one cries at the great joy of being present uh and and choosing uh that in the balance of these things to choose to now move forward to stop waiting to move forward actively in compassion and grace and and uh forth um you know uh sharing is is not the word i'm looking for but giving yeah, you know, this, yeah. this this spirit of giving that he uh, exhibits here at the end. I don't know. It was just a really, really beautiful way to resolve that story that I was not uh, prepared for. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I'm used yeah. I'm used to the the movie representations that are a nice little happy come down, you know, kind of sure, turnaround. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not this spirited laughter from the toes because nothing matters at all except everyone yeah um yeah. kind of thing it was really beautiful. right right there's a line that i had written down that is not about laughter but is in from that from that final section where it says uh he went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. And, well, I love, uh, yes, that's a wonderful line. I love, and, and you made me think this, so it wasn't me thinking of other things. It's you inspired me just here. But I think what's powerful about this text and the danger, the danger we run into with A Christmas Carol is observing Scrooge as this literary character and not as us mm, mm-hmm. right right i mean because right, that's right. it right. it is yeah. that's that's all it is 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 you you are going to be prone to buying into certain accumulative forms of of you know sort of self-construction sure right at the risk at the risk of your own interior health and dynamic loving relationships right that's, yeah, That's the sum of it, really. I love the way you've put that. I have uh, men's courses will foreshadow certain ends. I, I accept that. But if those courses be departed from, the ends must change. Tell me that is so, by what you show me. not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for this visitation. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Say that I may change these things by an altered life. 
I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. <laughs> Spare me. <laughs> Spare me. My own room. I'm alive. Oh, thank you, Spirit. I will keep my promise. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. Oh, heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I say this on my knees, Jacob Marley. On my knees. I love the way you've put that. I have uh, one uh, one final thing to, well, final for me to to sort of address and then yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know we've been going on for a little while but we didn't talk a lot about the spirit of christmas yet to come um and it is the gloomiest part of the of the story it's the most oppressive part of the story creatively speaking and then i'll pivot right back into theme is the uh, creatively speaking i think it's a literal stroke of genius that the spirit of christmas yet to come does not say anything speaks right. nothing yes. but but merely points um and it's that way in virtually every adaptation but that's all it does is it just i don't know in a points. disney mickey christmas carol you've got old what's that's his right. face it's old pete chewing um, chewing on a cigar and laughing right. uproariously exactly um but the but yeah so the fact that the spirit will not speak but i don't know if you caught this when scrooge is pleading at the gravestone when he's which by the way and no, I, I'll mention this because this is thematic. Um, when Scrooge is pleading at the gravestone, the text points out that it's the only time that the spirit of Christmas yet to come, his hand shakes. The spirit's yeah, hand yeah. quivers. And the, the, the understanding that the spirits are seeking his reclamation, that they want him to get it. They want him to wake up and to be whole again. They're right. fighting for that. As we mentioned earlier, they're fighting for it by simply showing him the current course of his actions and the and the previous course of his actions, um, but they are striving for that. And I love his line at the at the tombstone. He says, "Why show me this if I'm past all hope? Right? Why show me this if if it's too late?" And here's what I love about it. I'll mention this, and then this is my sort of final thematic notion, and I'll, I'll tie it back into the last statement that you just said. I, it may strike a reader in modern sensibilities as odd. That Scrooge does takes so long to realize he's the dead man, because I don't know about you, but maybe because of previous adaptations or whatever. But it's always been almost immediately uh, obvious right, to me. Right, right. You know, it's like you're the dead man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, of course you're the dead man. Of course they're talking about you. Those are your. Of course they're your things. You know, like all of this stuff. Of course you're the dead man. But here's what I find so fascinating, and you just hit on this where you said seeing Scrooge as a literary character and not as us, hmm. like. We would find that incredulous that he doesn't realize he's the dead man until we realize how much we live in denial of our own mortality. And I'm not sure. trying to be morbid here, but how much yeah. we live in denial of like, oh, well, we've got we've got all the time in the world or, you know, or like we can waste all of this. 
you know, we live in utter denial. Well, that's not us. That, that That's not coming tomorrow. You know, Hemingway wrote, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And I know that's very morbid and very macabre, but here's what happens to Scrooge is he sees his name. I love the way particularly George C. Scott's reading of it when he says, tell me that I can sponge away the writing on this stone. And I get a little emotional and choked up just thinking about that. Tell tell me that I can erase this, that I can push this away. And he's not talking about like, and it, it, it's exactly what, at the end, it says Tiny Tim who did not die. And it makes a point to say Tiny Tim did not die. And Scrooge did not die either, at least not at the conclusion of the story. The characters will meet their ultimate ends. Sure. But the death, and I, and, and I mean, there's so much gospel in this story. I mean, their death is one of a spiritual nature. The death that's there is of, you know, they're, they're speaking in literal terms. Right. But that death is of a, a spiritual withering, an emotional and a, and a soul withering that has happened. And what's beautiful and powerful to me, I heard Ray Bradbury talk about this book one time, and he began to weep. Bradbury was asked about this book, and Ray Bradbury, in an interview, began to weep. And he said, I weep for this man because he woke up the next morning and realized it's not too late. Right. It's not too right, late. Right, right, right. And, and all that had come before was what it was. And I will live in the past to remember that th- that, that was who I was. But I will also be present, and I will, you know, as he says to the spirit of Christmas yet to come, if those ends be departed from, the ends will change. Or if the, you know, if those courses right, be right. departed from, their ends will change. You know, you have the power to change, and that's something that I think Dickens could have easily, very easily, written a very cautionary tale, and it might have still had a certain degree of power. It might have still had a tremendous degree of power, but he chose differently. He chose to say, hey. Scrooge woke up the next morning, it was his bedpost, and it was not too late. He took a character that none of us liked. Nobody liked Scrooge at the beginning. I mean, you may like him in sort of this context of, like, general understanding of the story, but at the beginning of it, he's despicable. And he takes this character, and then at the end, you're so overjoyed that he has realized it's not too late, and that Mm. these things can bring him such tremendous happiness. There's a line in the George C. Scott one, I keep referencing it probably because it's my favorite and I know it so much. This is not in the text of the book, but when he meets Fred's, uh, when he goes to Fred and asks if he can come, if the invitation is still on the table, and then he says, uh, and he meets Fred's wife, and then she says to him, you've made us so happy. And George C. Scott has a moment where he just says, "Has have I? Like it, it puzzles him for a second. Right, like, have I? Right. And then he just says under his breath, it's a blink and you'll miss it line, but he says under his breath, God, forgive me for the time I've wasted. Wow. And I'm just like, I mean, it's, it is beautiful. It's powerful. This notion that, but then let us end where Dickens did. Scrooge became, I'm not reading this. I know this text so well. Um, Scrooge became as good a master, as good a man as the old city knew, you know, and mm. it was said of him that he knew how to Christmas well, if how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. And I just that and he said, may that be truly said of us. And so as tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone, you know, like Mm. it's just it's just a powerful, powerful thing to realize that, you know, and we here at the fear of God, you know, we we look at the intersection between, you know, these scary and macabre stories and this hope. I don't know if there is a better example than the Christmas carol than, you know, of like macabre and hope. Uh, The passage of scripture I wanted to reference um, is simply uh, what 
the Lord declared to John in the early part of Revelation, where he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I think it's powerful for us to reflect on the the timelessness of our, you know, it says elsewhere that Jesus uh, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The timelessness of he who was given to us on this day. Uh, I know it's not December 25th, literally. Listeners, go with me here. Right. <laughs> um, we, we, we commemorate the, the arrival of this baby and the, the awareness that because of this baby, it's not too late. It's not too late for any of us that as long as there is breath in our bodies and life in our spirits, that we have a chance to make different decisions moving forward and that we have a chance to shift our own perspective in ways that may be that may do profound good to the world around us. And that's not exclusive to Christmas. Christmas just happens to be the easiest, as I see it, through line to getting to right. that point. Right. Um, and so. Uh, so, yeah, so. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> well, Merry um, Christmas, Reed Lackey. Merry Christmas, Nathan Rouse. And you know we've talked for an ex- for an extensive amount of time, and I hope listeners have enjoyed this conversation. I hope you're enjoying your Christmas holiday, um, or if you're not, if you don't celebrate Christmas and and have still listened to this conversation, I hope you celebrate or having a wonderful day regardless of the context in which this day greets you, um, because I do feel very deeply that though it is called A Christmas Carol and the language of Christmas just saturates this book, um, that is merely the the vehicle through which this story is told. The redemption at its heart is is universal and, uh, sure. and I think is true for each and every one of us. And so um, obviously this is a book, so we're not going to we're not going to do our old friend uh, uh, Scrooge S. Pumpkins, but. I do want to just say thank you so much to all of you who did read the book in preparation for the episode. If you haven't read it because you're just like, I don't need to read that, I would encourage you, please go. There are few experiences as powerful as just engaging the text of the material uh, the way Dickens wrote it. I don't think any movie adaptation, many of them which I love, have come close to the power of the text. And uh, so, yeah. So, Nathan, thank you very much for letting us literally build an entire series around A Christmas Carol. Uh, Nathan, Merry Christmas to you, and thank you so much again for everything. Yes, likewise. Merry Christmas, everyone. And have a happy new year. (laughs) And a Merry Christmas to us all. A Merry Christmas to us all. And God bless us, everyone. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com for show notes, or to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.